Amen. 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 With the horns now. Amen. With the rhythm now. Amen. When you feel like you don't have a lot of options and you have a big need, you're willing to, to do and try things that you maybe would not have done or tried before. And uh, my senior year of college, I was um, low on uh, money because I was playing in a band and I spent my freaking student uh, loan refund check on a keyboard because I'm really smart. And, um, and I was working, I was, a, I was a, in a printmaking class and I was working and I, went, I was so hungry and I didn't have any food and I went to my printmaking professor's office and I said, do you have anything to eat? And she said, uh, and she like opened her mini fridge. It was toward the end of the semester. And she said, I have some saltines. And I said, do you have anything else? She said, I have some mustard. And I said, all right, uh, let's do this. And I sat in there and she looked at me like, who hurt you? You know, uh, and I was squirting mustard on these crackers and, and eating them. And it was great. You know, it was helpful is what I needed. And that, that's an absurd sounding example but um, this sense of like, I've been asking a lot of questions, I'm not getting good answers, I'm sort of struggling to understand myself and my feelings and what am I gonna do, and I feel like I don't have a lot of good options. And you're like, maybe I'll read the Bible, <laughs> um, or maybe I'll come to something like RUF. That sounds like a desperate reason to like think about God or read the Bible, but actually in the Bible, that's like one of the best reasons that people have for like, finding God and exploring God. So if you're here tonight and you're like, I don't know, <laughs> this seems a little bit out there, but I feel like I have a need. That's actually a great place to be. And actually, the, I think the Bible will tell us that that's the best place to be, to come and to receive um, a word from God. So we're going to read um, the passage that's there. It's, it's written in your handout. It's from a book called Ephesians. Ephesians is a letter that was written by a guy named Paul, or the Apostle Paul. You may have heard him called St. Paul. And he's writing to a church. This is the very, very, very beginning of the church, like a couple of decades after Jesus had lived and died and was raised. And there's this church in this big city, and it's full of all these people that don't like each other. And they're trying to figure out how to live together in love. And Paul writes them this letter. And this is what he says in chapter 3. He's just talked about all these things that God has done and to give us new life and to make the church into one. And then he says this, starting in verse 14 of chapter 3. This is the word of God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Uh, I believe this is God's word, so I'm just going to pray quickly and ask for him to to meet us in it. Our God, Father, Son, and Spirit, you um, share this beautiful love amongst yourself. And this passage tells us that you share it with us. And Lord, um, no matter where we're coming from tonight, we long deeply, more, more deeply than anything else, to be loved and to know how to love and to participate in love. And Lord, that's because you created each of us in this room in your image and in your love. And Lord, I'm really hesitant to even open this topic and feel like I would even have anything helpful to say because it's just so big and we're so tender and sensitive about it. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would come instead, that you would speak, that you would speak through me, you would speak through your word, and that, Lord, by the end of this time, looking at this short passage, we, we would just know that you are love and that you invite us into your love. Lord, we ask that you do that by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I, I was married to the lovely and very far out of my league, Sarah Jane Horn. Uh, on, well, she wasn't Sarah Jane Horn then. That would have been funny, though, right? Um, uh, it wouldn't have been funny at all. Uh, June 8th, 2008. This year will be 11 years. And uh, at our wedding, thanks, we made it, guys. Almost to 11. I think we're going to get there. And um, at our wedding, you know, we were, we were youngins, and uh, my wife had just graduated from college. She was 23, I was 24, and um, so at our, we wanted our wedding to be really fun and to like not be like taking itself so seriously, you know, and, and, um, and we especially wanted the reception to be really fun, and we invited a lot of friends. We lived in Savannah, Georgia at the time, and, and um, so we, we put a lot of thought into like the music that we were going to play at the reception and making sure that it was fun. And, um, but for our first dance, you know, it's like a kind of a big deal because all the people that are there at the wedding, they all share this moment of like surveilling you, having an intimate moment with your new spouse. And, um, so we chose a song for our first dance, which is called Don't Know Much by Aaron Neville and Linda Ronstadt. And, um, you guys don't know the song. That's fine. Um, (laughs) we chose it because we thought it was really corny, right? And just like really kind of a lame song to have your first dance to. And that it would be like really funny, right? And like kind of, and everyone would be like, ha, ah, you guys are so witty. And um, it's because we're deeply uncomfortable with our love, right? So, um, and so as we're dancing, you know, you're looking around and the people that were sort of like y'all's age and was kind of my age at the time were kind of like, oh, this is, you know, they were kind of been on it. But then like people that were like my parents' age, they were like deeply moved by like, <laughs> you know. And I, I remember dancing and seeing this, um, this family friend, her name is Bambi, and she's a great name. And um, like, she's just so great that you're like, of course your name is Bambi. And um, she's a lovely, beautiful person. And she was crying. And, um, and afterward, you know, it's like we moved on to something else. And she came up to me and she hugged me and she was like, Chris, that was so beautiful. Um, <laughs> And the reason why I think that happened is because 
Sarah Jane and I were just married that day. And we were still sort of insecure about like our love and expressing that and what that looked like in front of other people because we had been married like an hour. <laughs> and, um, but Bambi, who has been married to Jonathan for decades by this point, is very deeply invested and comfortable in her own love. And like, like with the concept of love and being loved. And so she could hear this corny song and be like, this is beautiful. And she could celebrate and delight in that. And this passage that we just read is about God's love. And the scripture actually says that God is love. Not that love is God, so we don't get it backwards. But God is love. He's not just loving, but he actually, like a synonym for God would be love. And nobody in this room, no matter how Christian-y you are, um, no matter how, how long you've been in the church, nobody in this room is very comfortable with God's love. Some of the people in the room are very comfortable with God's wrath. Like God is just, he punishes people. He would have punished me, but Jesus, and, uh, you know? And uh, yeah, that's right. And that's good, right? You know, God does have justice. Um, but very few of us are comfortable with God's love. I think part of it is because of what Paul says in this passage, that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. But I think that when we start to talk about, hey, everyone in this room, God loves you deeply and longs to be near you. Not to just like give you good things to bless you, but like the deepest desire of God's heart really is to gather you close to himself and be with you. And he doesn't care about all the stuff right, that you, the issues. He just wants to be close to you. And that he loves you for absolutely no other reason than just the fact that he does. Because he's the only one that can do that. Um, we're pretty uncomfortable with that, and it's challenging for us to grasp. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. And what I want to do, just as we look at this passage for just for a few minutes, is to sort of unpack together why it might be challenging for us to embrace God's love, right? I think there's a feeling that, like, if we actually believe that God really loved people um, and that that was the singular motivating factor of the universe, that we would probably be pretty different in how we treat each other, right? Um, and so, so why is it that it's so challenging for us to deal with and to really hold on to and to feel and to give God's love? Couple, couple of things. Um, and, and again, I, I am, honestly, I feel like I could get up here and articulate the crap out of sin to you. And just be like, this is what sin is, and just like, but when it comes to God's love, I, I feel trepidatious. So um, just please take this as me trying to share a couple of thoughts with you. One reason why I think when we read a passage like this and we hear the writer saying, I want you to be strengthened and to have this strength, this spiritual strength, this strength and this power that comes from God. And the reason why you need that strength is so that you will understand that God loves you. One of the reasons why we struggle with that is um, because we have a lot of other competing loves. Um, I think what, what, what we might call half loves. I love Planet Earth, the show um, from the BBC the source of all things bright and beautiful um, on Netflix is the BBC. And 
There's a Planet Earth 2 now, which is out, and my children and I have been watching it on Friday nights, which is family movie night. And by movie, I mean we're watching a documentary on nature. And the last episode was about cities and animals living in cities. It is, it will keep you up at night. But there's this one, and it's about baby sea turtles. And it made me think about you, Daniel. I don't know why, Daniel Kirby. I don't, this made me, I connected with you. Um, I'm going to give you as much attention as possible tonight. Already. Um, baby sea turtles are, are their, their, their mama lays eggs on the beach. And on the night of a full moon, they hatch. Right, which is awesome enough already. I hatched on a full moon. And uh, the, the reason why is because the full moon shines on the ocean, and the baby turtles, when they come out, they're just disorientated, and they move toward the light of the moon, which is sh- shimmering all over the ocean, right? Except for these baby sea turtles, the beach is next to the city, yeah, right? And uh, everyone's like, no, no. See, usually planet Earth, you think something really like traumatizing is going to happen, and then like something averts at the last second, but not the cities episode. The cities episode, the baby pigs get eaten, the catfish eat pigeons. It's crazy. Craziness. So these baby sea turtles come out, and a lot of them go to the ocean, but a lot are like, these lights over here are brighter. And they turn around. And they go into the road. I know, I know. know. Thank you. I feel like we're feeling this together. Um, They go into storm drains. Because there is something that they see that is like a cheap version of the thing that they know they're supposed to be moving toward, right? And the Bible really would talk about Things in our life that fill us with joy or delight um, as sort of like other lights, like lesser lights, and that they're, they're great to be there, but once we actually move toward them, we actually move, don't move toward thriving and flourishing and growing and freedom, we actually move toward death. And um, partly because we are celebrating um, Black History Month, I want to read a little bit from a fourth century African bishop named St. Augustine. And uh, he, he writes in this book called Confessions. He, he came to know Jesus when he was in his 30s. And um, this is, listen to what Augustine says. Because I was like, what can I say about love? But I was like, Augustine's got some, some heat. And he, he writes this. He's, he's speaking to God. He says, late have I loved you. Beauty so ancient and new. Late have I loved you. Lo, you were within, but I outside seeking there for you. And upon the shapely things you have made, I rushed headlong. I, misshapen. You were with me, but I was not with you. They held me back far from you, those things which would have no being were they not in you. You called, shouted, broke through my deafness. You flared, blazed, banished my blindness. You lavished your fragrance. I gasped, and now I pant for you. I tasted you, and now I hunger and thirst. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. And what Augustine, I think, is beautiful about what he says there is he says, I longed after the shapely things that you had made because I was misshapen. There's a sense that, that we are always loving. If you, if you really want to know what, it, what the Bible means when it says that we are created in God's image, what it means is that we never stop loving things. 
and desiring things and moving toward things and thinking this thing is beautiful and it will complete me and I want it in my life and I want to, and I want to celebrate and delight in it. And we give ourselves away to pleasures and peoples and dreams and some seem worth it and many do not. And that's part of the reason I think why it's so challenging that, that we really connect with God's love is because we see other cheap lights that feel brighter. And I think that's part of what's powerful about what Paul's saying. He's praying that Christians would have power to know God's love. That you would have strength to know God's love. And what that means is that we would have the strength to actually turn ourselves away from that which is going to be death and move towards light. So part of the reason why it's so challenging, I think, is because of other lights. But also, I think part of the reason why I struggle, and maybe you do too, to grasp God's love is because it is so vast. It's so big. It's, it's almost so big. It is the thing that is holding all of the universe together. And it's like, where do I even start? Right? There's this guy's name is David Bazan. He plays in a band called Pedro the Lion. And um, he, <laughs> how would I put this? Jordan, I should have asked you for your help on this. Um, he writes really good songs that are re- uh, really good at expressing how screwed up everything is. Let's, can we, is that fair, Jordan? Can we say that? Right here. Um, he's really good at like, this is hypocrisy, and you're like, dang it. You know? Or like his frustration or his, 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 you know, just pointing out what's broken in the world. And there's one time he was being interviewed, and the interviewer asked him, why don't you write love, any love songs? Right? Because he's got like a million songs about like his problems with his wife, but he doesn't have any songs so far about like why his wife is great, you know? and um, which is a problem. And uh, he says, "I don't write love songs because they're too hard." Right? It's it's so hard to write a love a good love song that doesn't feel corny, because when you're talking about hypocrisy or how much anger you have towards someone or or jealousy, you can pretty well sum that up in a song. When you start talking about love, it's like I don't think I could actually make words that would help. They would just maybe move, move us farther away. And that's because God is love. And I think part of what is, is, is great about what Paul's saying is he says, look, he, he says, I want you to have the strength, this is verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints. And saints is just a word for people that know Jesus, not for like super holy people. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God? What he's saying is, I want you to have strength so you can understand this gigantic thing that you could actually never really understand. I want you to move toward getting a sense of how wide and deep and tall and long it is. And to do that, really, it can only be sipped at. I have a friend and he talks about God's love that he gives us a thimbleful, right? Because in a sense, it's like all that we can begin to understand and to get a taste for. Um, when's the last time you had a really good meal? The last time I had a really good meal was at Epcot, okay? And uh, I was at Epcot two weeks ago, and I was in the Mexico section of Epcot. And I'm going to be real. The Mexican food I had at La Hacienda de San Angel was the best Mexican food I've ever had in my life. And I like Mexican food. I'm not like an expert, but I've eaten a lot. And um, how many, how many 10,000 hours, that's what you have to have to be an expert or something? I'm getting there, right? And um, I was there, and this food was so good. And like when, when you're eating a meal that like really surprises you with how good it is, 
like it's like you put a bite in your mouth and you just like hold it there, right? And you close your eyes and you just try to retreat from the table and from and you just go Mm, you know, like you're making these like weird guttural moaning sounds. And what you're doing is you're trying to get the moment to, to, to last, right? Because you realize that, you know, you have to absorb as much of the delight as possible because the meal is going to be over. If you just kept eating the meal and eating it and eating it and eating it, eventually it would not be a delightful experience for you anymore, right? You can only begin to get tastes of it. And in a sense... That is how God expresses his love to us. I think some of us are like, I want to know God, I'm trying to know God, and I'm just not feeling it that often. And I think part of what Paul is pushing us towards is to say, savor the sips. Um, If you have been in a situation where love was very present, it is legitimately intoxicating. Again, I was at Disney World. I, I I actually got a request for more Disney World stories, so... Here you are, foolish person that asked for that. And we were at the Polynesian Village, which is very conflicting. And um, we were having an amazing breakfast that I was like Mickey Waffle. I was putting my eyes closed. I was savoring. And it was a breakfast with Lilo and Stitch. Okay? And somebody said amen. Thank you. And, um, and we realized at this breakfast that we had a lot of things scheduled where we met characters. And that one of my children, this was her living nightmare. And... Um, <laughs> When Lilo was coming around, she started losing her mind. <laughs> Lilo was there, Stitch was there, and uh, like Polynesian Mickey with like a lay. It was, again, very conflicting. And um, I'm like, is it cultural appropriation if you're a mouse? I don't know. <laughs> Pretty sure you're just like a United States mouse. Anyway, um, so she was freaking out. And so every time they would come near us to visit the table, I would have to take her around the restaurant and like walk with her. And she was crying, just freaking out. And, um, but later on in the meal, uh, it's like my whole family, my mom is there, my stepdad's there. And Stitch came back around and like kind of came up behind her. And I was like, she's going to lose her mind. And I was like about to grab her. And she turned and she was like, oh, hi. And she got up and she, like, she hugged Stitch, right? <laughs> And literally, I started crying. <laughs> and I look at my wife, and she's crying. And I look at my mom, and she's crying. And my stepdad's like, why are y'all all crying? And, uh, and I think that in that moment, there were three people at this, I mean, everyone at the table, but three of us that were just like, God, we love Bonnie so much. And she was so scared. And she is so brave right now. And, and we were just like, I'm proud of you, you know? And, and we hugged her. And when you share that, and y'all, all, see, y'all all just went there with me. You were not at the Polynesian Village, okay? At Ohana, Lilo and Stitch dining experience. Um, but you went there with me because there's something that is intoxicating about love. And there is a love from God that literally threatens to undo us with how enormous it is. That that moment, that almost it's like you can't stay in that in that just that strong love. It's like you have to come up for air in a minute. And God is saying He wants us to understand this love, that's His love, and it is that enormous. And that's why I've got a little bit more Augustine for you. Augustine says this. He says, "What are you, my God? You are the Most High, excellent, most powerful, omnipotent, supremely merciful, and supremely just, most hidden yet intimately present." infinitely beautiful and infinitely strong, steadfast, yet elusive. elusive. This is where it starts to get good. 
unchanging yourself, though you control the change in all things, never new, never old, renewing all things, yet wearing down the proud, though they know it not, ever active, ever at rest, gathering while knowing no need, supporting and filling and guarding, creating and nurturing and perfecting, seeking although you lack nothing. You love without frenzy, you are jealous yet secure. You regret without sadness. You grow angry yet remain tranquil. You alter your works but never your plan. You take back what you find although you never lost it. You are never in need yet you rejoice in your gains. Never avaricious yet you demand profits. You allow, listen, listen to this. You allow us to pay you more than you demand and so you become our debtor. Yet which of us possesses anything that does not already belong to you? You owe us nothing, yet you pay your debts. You write off our debts to you, yet you lose nothing thereby. After saying all that, what we have said, my God, my life, my holy sweetness, what have we said? What does anyone who speaks of you really say? Yet woe to those who fail to speak, while the chatterboxes go on saying nothing. There is nothing that God needs, and he is everywhere, never new, never old, filling everything, always searching, And he says he has a love, and it's for you. And it's to share with you and me. God's love is so vast, that's what's challenging that he invites us into it. And the last thing is this, and I'll come down on this. To know God's love is is scary for us because I think we all know innately that it would require us to change if we actually knew God's love. God delights to be with you. But he is not the kind of person or thing that when you draw near to him that you can just do what you want and stay how you are. We have a hard time with God's love because if God just loves us completely and it's actually true, then we can't just keep on doing whatever we want to do. And that's hard for us. You know, I, I, what I hear in my own heart and what I hear in my conversations with y'all, to be honest, is a near constant nitpicking of God, of what he says in his word, of how he acts, of how he presents himself. And it's almost like we want to nitpick him so we can say, yeah, and I don't have to get close to your love because I've always got an issue with you. You know, in the beginning, God created two people, Adam and Eve, and they, they, when they sinned for the first time and moved away from God's love, they realized that they were naked, which they had always been naked. And their immediate impulse was to hide from God, which is silly because he knows where you're at. And he's seen you already. You know, it's like when your mom says, comes in, you know, when you were a kid, and you're like, oh no. And she's like, I've, I've, it's nothing I've ever seen before, right? Um, in a sense, God is saying, yeah, I've already seen you as, as you are. But God's immediate impulse when Adam and Eve hide is to go looking for them and to, to go drawing them and inviting them, right? And when God calls, Adam hides. And it's because his assumption is that God is not love, but that God is wrath. That God is justice. That God is anger. And he thinks that God is waiting to cast him aside. He says, I was naked, so I hid. And God's like, who told you that you were naked? He forgot so quickly about God's smile. He had seen God's smile. He had basked in God's smile. He had walked before God, and yet he so quickly forgot. He forgot that God was seeking him out. And you know, God has never stopped seeking his people out. If you want to think, what, is, what does it mean that God's at work? It means that he's coming after you. That Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. 
when Jesus came, this is God himself becoming a human being to come and find you and me. He came to us all the way down. Uh, the pastor of my church said on Sunday, and I thought it was so well said, he said, the Son of God became the Son of Man so that the sons of men might become the sons of God, right? Sons and daughters. That's what God has done for us. And if all that love is true, then we can't just stay the same. We can't just keep orchestrating our lives so that we can protect ourselves from pain. We can't keep withholding love from others. We can't just keep doing whatever we want. We can't keep being petty because we're like, he's not petty. And he loves me. And I know I have to give love. When I met my wife, um, I mean, this is like, what, three of my marriage analogies so far? Sorry. Um, I was also really mean to her before I came over here. So this is you guys know. Right. Um, I texted her and she was like, God loves you. Um, when I met her, I could, I'm going to be for real. I did not have my life put together. I was not ready to be what she needed me to be. But beginning to love her, I realized things have just got to be different. Like it's time to like be a big boy, you know? And um, that's what love will do. I have a deep soul tie with the movie Frozen. Uh, and, I, and I'm not kidding. Um, and I'm deeply emotionally and spiritually connected to this freaking movie. And, um, and uh, th- I think the person that really puts this, and we'll, we'll end with this, um, the person that really helps us understand what love can do to how you're living your life is Elsa. Because Elsa is maybe the greatest character ever constructed on screen. And Anna is kind of lame and it's kind of two-dimensional, but that's fine. And um, she has, Elsa has unimaginable power. It's a beautiful power. She's able to do beautiful things with it, right? But it was clearly beyond her ability to control it, right? So you know if you've seen Frozen, which God bless you if you haven't seen Frozen. Go see it. I'll, I'll loan it to you on Blu-ray. And... Um, she tries to conceal her power, right? To hold it in. To not, like anyone, not let anyone see. Pretend it's not there. But when she tries to conceal and not feel, what happens? She's locked away in her room. She hurts the people around her. She isolates herself. Does that sound familiar? Um, the storm inside of you, when you try to conceal it from other people, doesn't, doesn't it just push you away from everybody and still somehow hurt that relationship? But then, you know, she can't take it anymore, so she embraces the power that's in her. She lets it go, right? She, she, my, we heard my daughters have a joke, why don't you give Elsa a balloon? She'll let it go, right? Um, <laughs> and she, she embraces her power. There's no rules There's, there, for her. She lets it go. She just embraces. This is the storm inside of me. I'm going to let it out. And then what happens? She isolates herself. She hurts all the people around her that she loves. Right? Is that, does anyone relate to that part? I just decided just to be everything I wanted to be and screw what anyone thinks. And you feel like more connected. Um, there was no escape from what was inside of her and it was actually through an act of love that was so visceral, an act of dis- her sister giving her life for her that Elsa began to, to realize like, oh, I know what to do with myself now. I know what to do with my strength. I know what to do with my power. I know what to do with my beauty. I know what to do with my ugliness. I know where it's supposed to go because I've been loved and I know how to love now. And Jesus gave himself for you so that you could begin to comprehend his love and therefore know what to do with yourself. 
know what to do with all those disparate parts of the inside of you where like, I don't want to do this thing, but I really do want to do this thing at the same time. And I don't know what to do with that. And Jesus says, I want to surround you in my love and teach you how to live in that love and how to use your gifts and beauty and strength to give life instead of diminishing it. And because that's true and because God loves you now, actually, this last little bit is true. And I'll just leave this with you. Paul says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. God is able to do far more abundantly than you could ever ask or think. So what other lights are, seem brighter than his love? Are you learning to savor the sips? And are you willing to change? God can do that because he loves you. And because he's smiling. Uh, we're going to pray. And if you are comfortable doing it, I would ask you to grab hands with the person next to you. If you're not comfortable, that's fine. Huh? Oh, it is flu season. So wash that hand afterward, okay? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you um, for the hand that we're holding. A reminder that you um, are not afraid to reach out and to touch us and to be close to us. And Lord, we lift up the people that are around us. And Lord, we say to you that we want to know your love. And we ask that you would reveal that to us, um, that we would be changed. Uh, that we would know actual delight. And Lord, would you help us to feel your warmth? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.